This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. In many parts of the country, we're just past peak squirrel season, when the bushy-tailed rodents are in overdrive, hiding nuts for the winter ahead. And if you've ever spent time like I have, watching a squirrel hide a nut, only to zoom away, run along a cable, or devise some acrobatic assault on your bird feeder, which I have watched too many times, you've probably got squirrel questions. Joining me now is Lucia Jacobs. She's a professor in the Department of Psychology and the Institute of Neuroscience at UC Berkeley, and she co-leads something called Squirrel School. Welcome to Science Friday, Dr. Jacobs. Is school in session now? School's in session. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, because I have such mixed feelings about squirrels. Like I said, they attack my bird feeder, um, they dig up my bulbs, yet I am in admiration of them for their athletic and acrobatic abilities. They're unbelievable. Well, I think squirrels are very um, polarizing. And there are many people who would state what you just said much more strongly, that they actually hate We are on the radio, so I couldn't really tell you. (laughs) Okay. No, it's fascinating. It seems some people are fascinated and walk to the park with bags of nuts and other people can't stand them. And, you know, my response is squirrels are like humans. I mean, they're very similar. The eastern gray, we're talking about the eastern gray squirrel. They're extremely smart. They're extremely destructive. (laughs) They're generalists. They can kind of eat most anything. At the same time, they're specialists because they have this fascinating co-evolved relationship with oaks and hickories so that Because of them, we have forests. So people have a lot of mixed feelings, I think. Yeah. So tell me about your feelings. How did you get interested in squirrels in this whole universe of animals to study cognition in? Well, it was actually, it did come down to food storing because I was fascinated that there are different squirrel species on the East Coast that store food differently. And the the red squirrel um, puts all its eggs in one basket and defends the basket, larder hoarding. And the eastern gray is obligate scatter hoarder, where every large seed is individually buried and, and without defense. And so I was fascinated by the kind of economics of these two species that often overlap. How did they work that out? So I was really interested in their kind of economic um, systems. And since then, I found it that was that was a good place to start because the eastern gray squirrel does, have, in fact, have a fascinating and complicated economic system. Well, when you say economic system, does that mean making choices about burying the, the acorns or eating them? Or, or exactly what are you talking about? I don't think of squirrel economics, but I will now. No, I think um, if you think about, you know, humans... You get some uh, income and you have to decide, do I spend it now? Do I save it for the future? And that's what squirrels do also. That's why squirrels and humans are so similar. All these nuts come in. Do I eat the nut? Do I cash it for the future? If I cash it, where do I cash it? How do I protect it? How do I defend it? When do I get it back again? So squirrels have months and months of foraging decisions about one nut. And they have to do that about 3,000 times every, every year. So do, do they obsess over this? I mean, you know, you know, get crazy because they have to make all these decisions? What's fascinating is when we looked at these decisions in the summer, for squirrels, the summer is a terrible time because they've eaten all their stores from the year before and the new crop hasn't showed up. And so the summer is when they're actually 
very thin, very starving. That's when they're really going to attack your bird feeders. And what we found is when you give squirrels nuts in the summer, they make that decision much more slowly, much more carefully. We actually quantify a squirrel picks up a nut and they um, roll it in their paws and then they put it in their mouth and they shake their head from side to side. It's very quick. You have to look very carefully to see it. And what we showed is they're actually weighing the nut. And depending on how much this, the nut weighs, they will carry that nut a little further away from the place where they found it because the place where they found it is generally where all the other squirrels are. And so they want to get it far away as possible. So it's this really careful economic decision and we can actually see them doing it because we can quantify these paw movements. So you can actually see an animal thinking, what is this worth? And then you can see their response and there's all these different kind of ecological factors that go into this one little decision. But in the fall, the fall is when they turn into caching machines. That's when you've got all this availability and the decisions are very fast. Hmm. Do we have any idea, speaking of burying those nuts, of how they remember all those hiding places? I mean, we've shown with captive squirrels that they, they remember, and that's not a surprise. This is what we've been able to show in the lab is that they're, they're very accurate. And they, when they're very hungry, they go first to their own caches and then they go to other squirrels' caches because squirrels have a very good sense of smell. And they, in fact, if you plant 80 walnuts in your backyard, a squirrel will come and find 79 of them within wow. a month. But the way we've interpreted this is you can see when they're very hungry, they go first to the sure thing. I mean, it's you would do the same thing. If you're starving, <laughs> um, you're not going to cook an elaborate meal. You're going to grab something right on the counter, right? And that's what the squirrels do. But if you think about squirrels, what they're the natural conditions, they're living in areas with snow. And when you've got deep snow or if you've got a, uh, an ice storm, you've got a frozen layer, using your sense of smell is not going to help you. You're going to freeze to death before you can find someone else's caches and so when things are really cold and really frozen, squirrels tend to stay in their nests. But then when things warm up, they'll come out and they'll beeline to their, their own caches because they know where they are. And you'll see in snow, you'll see a squirrel running across the snow and then going straight down, coming up with a nut and going off to a safe place to eat it. Wow. So do they have any memory tricks? I know if I buried something, I'd say, well, it's five feet from the oak tree, four feet from this tree. It must be right here. Do they do that kind of calculation or have any tricks they use? That is a fascinating question that we don't have the complete answer on. What we have shown in the campus squirrels is that they do seem to organize their caches by nut species. And, and this is a mnemonic trick. It's called chunking. So if I give you a list of 10 items to remember, and you can categorize those items into a kind of um, fruit and a kind of dog, for example, then you're going to remember and recall that much more accurately. And we know this from lab rats. They do this. And so what we found with the squirrels is we gave them a random series of five different kinds of nuts. They would actually cache the same species of nut statistically in a, in a clumped distribution. So you would see a, a clump of almonds and a clump of peanuts and a clump of walnuts. 
And we interpret that as the mnemonic. What they're doing is spatial chunking to you know, improve their retrieval. What's, what's interesting is they not only, when they're doing that, imagine you're a squirrel and you're getting this rapid fire um, presentation of different nuts and the nuts are different species and sizes. And what the squirrel's not only thinking, oh, okay, this is an almond. Where did I cache the other almonds? But they're also measuring the weight of that almond. And we've shown that within almonds, they carry a slightly heavier almond significantly farther. And they're also um, caching the almonds at a specific density. So the more valuable the nut, which is basically its fat content, the lower the density because they don't want to, um, you know, this is a problem. They're constantly stealing from each other. So if you have these great nuts close together, someone's going to come in say, aha, here's an almond, and, and they're going to look around quickly and find the others. So the better the nut, the more widely dispersed they are. They're all thieves then. <laughs> oh, absolutely. From- they're, I mean, they're very human-like. That's what I keep saying. <laughs> They're, um, you know, humans are the only primate that stores food. And I think we can learn a lot from squirrels for that reason. I, I want to talk about what you started our conversation or what actually I started it with, which is something that you run called the Squirrel School. What do you teach in that school? <laughs> or do they teach you or what exactly is that? So this is an idea I had that squirrels are actually very commonly orphaned in the United States and, and other countries where a tree nest will be blown down and the baby squirrels are brought to a wildlife rescue organization who raise them for two months and then release them again back where they were where they were found. And so I was very curious to know what do squirrels what can they learn during that those two months? And so we're working with uh, rescue organizations to study the development of cognition in these orphan squirrels and with the goal that we'll then be able to follow them after release and see what influences early rearing have on their survival. That's, that's the, the blue sky goal. Interesting. If you have a bird feeder, which I have a few, you you might not be feeling so warmly towards squirrels because they have a knack. They have an incredible, they can break into almost any bird feeder that we come up with. How do they have that skill? I mean, what, what and they'll keep trying over and over again. What, what is there about their personalities, if I might call it, that allows them to do that? Well, they're generalists. They, they're facing a year where for the fall, they know exactly what to do. But then come March through August, they have to eat anything they can find. And that's tree buds and leaves and insects and mushrooms and all kinds of things. So they really have to be creative to survive. But they also seem equipped to break into stuff with like their little hands and claws and stuff like that. Well, they- that, I mean... Right. So think about a squirrel as a burglar with who has built into her head um, a little chainsaw that can cut through metal. (laughs) Um, And they've got incredibly uh, they've got front paws that can manipulate and hold things. They they can run on the ground. They can jump. They can climb up. Um, up a tree. They can go up a tree as fast as they can go down a tree. Their wrists actually completely 
can rotate 180 degrees so they can hang easily from their back feet. With their bushy tails, they can leap over great gaps. They really own the physical environment. You putting up a bird feeder is just a challenge to them. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that because I, I know a lot of people who it's like, you know, spy versus spy trying to out, outwit the squirrel. Um, I often see these squirrels around my house all the time. Am I seeing the same ones all the time? Or are there a lot of different ones roving through my neighborhood, scavenging? They're very likely the same. In fact, I think the squirrel in your backyard knows you better than you know them. They, <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> they, they can live to be 20 years in the lab, but even in the field, 12 years. We've got squirrels really? in Berkeley that we followed for seven years. Yeah, they're very long lived. They're, uh, you know, they're, I mean, that's what's so fascinating actually about their cognitive development is that it takes them weeks and weeks to learn how to be a squirrel, which compared to a lab mouse who's, you know, born and out by three weeks, um, very different situation. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. In case you're just joining us, we're talking squirrels with squirrel aficionado and expert Lucia Jacobs of UC Berkeley. Do they know when predators are around? Because there are days where there'll be no squirrels at all, and then there'll be a dozen of them. I mean, it seems like they all know to stay away. And I asked a neighbor once who has, has a lot of bird feeders and whatever, and she said, you know, there must, there must be a falcon flying around here. Would that be true? Uh, no, there's actually a new study showing that they, they eavesdrop on birds, and they use bird song to know where, when predators are around. And they're also, no. of course, listening no to kidding. other squirrels. But, but yeah, they're actually listening to the birds. Yeah. So the, absolutely. Would you say then if they're talking to birds, they know what's going on? Would you say they're smart or just very skilled or how would you put that? Well, I'd say that, you know, I would say are humans smart? Um, they've got um, all this skill in motor learning. Plus, they've got all these um, spatial cognition challenges, which is they're both moving in three dimensions, the, the tree and they're foraging in three dimensions and then they're caching in two dimensions and they have this months and months of caching and retrieving and pilfering from each other. And of course, they're very sensitive to who's stealing. We've also got some preliminary evidence that squirrels are actually caching um, in areas near where their other squirrels are related to are caching. So what you're seeing in your backyard is squirrels who know each other very well. There's probably kind of extended kin groups the, we know that particularly eastern gray squirrels um, have these um, winter nesting organizations that are we don't really understand what's going on, but it's clearly something interesting and social. So I, yeah, I think they're 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 um, you've got a posse out there who's keeping an eye on you. <laughs> it certainly seems that way, and and you know some people who are not squirrel fans, and certainly here in the New York City area have called them rats with bushy tails. I mean, how accurate is that? Well, like I said, I could, I could insult um, humans in, in various ways, too. Uh, they're not, they're obviously, they're, they're rodents. But rodents also include species like beavers, which are very similar to squirrels in that they have this massive effect on the landscape. Beavers, you know, change the landscape. Squirrels change the landscape. They actually create their own forests. And of course, squirrels are not, not in the rat family. They're a very ancient lineage. They're about 36 million years old. 
And the first squirrels from actually quite remarkably well-preserved skeletons look like squirrels. They look like it, the first squirrel might have been something very similar to a tree squirrel. They're also very unusual because they're diurnal. So they have better they have better color vision. They have their visual cortices are more similar to primate. They look more more like a monkey than than a rat. So there's lots of ways that I think of, we should think of squirrels as these very smart, innovative monkeys, really, that live in our cities. Well, you have given me a different way to think about squirrels and and. I'm. I think I'm a better person now for that. <laughs> well, I I have done my job. If, <laughs> thank you very much for taking time to talk with us today, Lucia. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You're you're welcome, Dr. Lucia Jacobs is a professor in the Department of Psychology and the Institute of Neuroscience at UC Berkeley.